or younger, you can go downstairs for the children's service that's been prepared for you. I could open your Bibles with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. When Paul writes this letter, um, he is in prison. He's in chains, probably chained to a guard that, I don't know how often they changed him, but he had somebody right beside him all the time. And he's there because of the accusations made against him for preaching the gospel. As we come to the end of this uh, book of Ephesians, Paul reminds us of the warfare that our life consists of. It's kind of an interesting passage. begins in verse 10, Ephesians 6.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God that you can be able to stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We know that, right? You have to be reminded of it every once in a while. It's not people that are our problem. Our trouble usually comes through people. (laughs) You know, they're the ones that, that give us grief, but they're not the problem. We're fighting another kind of battle. And Paul says the battle is not flesh and blood, but against the schemes of the devil and the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. We don't think about that so much in our culture because we're such rationalists, you know. everything The only thing that has meaning is what we can see, what we can count, what we can test what we can check out with our eyes, and we have kind of been enculturated to believe that all there is is what's in front of us that we can see. But Paul says that our struggle is with spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly realm. In other words, in the, in the air around us. The Bible, the heavenlies, is anything from earth up into heaven. In this heavenly realm, in the sphere around us, we are do, doing battle on a daily basis with spiritual powers and forces of wickedness in high places. In other words, there, there is an enemy fighting us who is a supernatural foe. And so Paul says in verse 13, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, that when the day of evil comes, you can be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Ever experienced flaming arrows of the evil one? (laughs) Or maybe you didn't know that that's what you were experiencing. When doubts come, when temptation comes, when conflicts of the mind arise, when we're attacked at the very level of our faith and trust in God, when the enemy comes in against our mind, you know, a lot of times our warfare is, is in, it takes place in the mind. The battles that go on inside 
and how we interpret the, the reality around us is influenced by spiritual forces of wickedness. He says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert and keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. We've been talking about prayer in the last couple months. We've been talking about intercession and, and praying, why pray, how to pray, the kinds of things that the Scripture says to us about the practice of prayer. But I was struck this week by Paul's simple request as he comes to the end of the letter and he says, pray for me. Pray for me. And in the midst of this whole discussion of spiritual warfare, I think what Paul is doing is saying, I'm under attack. And I want you to pray for me. And he, he puts this pray for all the saints verse, it begins in verse 18, right in the context of spiritual warfare. And I took the time to, to look this up in the original language and ponder the words that are there. And I wrote those down for you. If you picked up an outline this morning, it's at the top here. If you didn't, um, in fact, here's my, my rough sheet. The non-blue ink is in Greek, but here's the translation. And I put it down for you at the top of the page. And, and I was meditating on what Paul says about pray in the Spirit on all occasions. And here's how it comes out if we translate it literally with some embellishment. With all prayers and informal pleas, you yourselves be continually asking God at all times, in and by the Holy Spirit, constantly staying alert and keeping watch toward this goal with all unremitting persistence and pleas concerning all the saints. Do you hear all of those adverbs, how we're to be praying, how, how that intensity looks, how that attitude of prayerfulness looks? Actually, Paul begins out by giving us two words for praying, and he's not being redundant because they mean two different things. He says, with all prayer and petition. But the word prayer there is, is the typical Greek word for any kind of formal request that you would make to God. Think of that as your quiet time or your special times of prayer. Think of it in those terms. There are times during the day when you should set aside time to communicate with God in a formal way. You need to stop all the other activity. You need to put everything else off the, off the table for just a moment or 15 minutes or a half hour, whatever it is. And you need to focus on God in a formal way and communicate with Him. Paul says, I want you to do that. I want you to have those formal times 
of focused prayer. But then he uses this next word, and petition. And, and that word actually means to plead with God. There's the, the formal kind of sanctified time in your life when you're praying specifically. But then he says, I also want you throughout the day to be pleading with God. To, to, not the formal way, but the passionate kind of momentary cries that go up all day long as you plead with God on behalf of the saints. So two kinds of, of prayer described. Official and impassioned, spontaneous prayer. And then he tells us to pray continually and at all times. Have you ever pondered the statement, pray without ceasing. How do you pray without ceasing? I mean, don't you have other things to do? Can, can you pray while you're working on something that requires all your attention? Can, can you pray, um, you know, when, when you're in a difficult, uh, tough traffic or whatever? What does he mean, pray at all times? He literally means that our heart should be in a spirit of communion with God all the time, all day long. We should be conscious of our relationship with Him so that when our mind leaves the focused, attentive task, it automatically rebounds to that connection with God. And even in the midst of that, sometimes... You know, we can pray while other things are going on. There, there are all kinds of tasks that you and I do during the day that are relatively mindless. I mean, we've done them enough that we can almost do them without thinking about them. Mowing the grass, doing the dishes, taking a shower. I, I have some of my most uh, interesting prayer times in the shower. I don't sing in the shower because it's too early in the morning. Usually no one else in my house is up. And uh, they wouldn't appreciate it if I were singing. But I can pray because I don't have to do that out loud. And I'm amazed sometimes at the communion that I have with God. I guess it's the hot water on my head, you know, kind of getting the brain waves charged up and whatever. But I I can pray in those times. I can pray while I'm driving. I'm not suggesting that's a mindless task. I hope it isn't for you. But there are times when... Uh, you don't have to do anything but keep it between the lines and off the bumper of the car in front of you. And those can be times of prayer. Paul is literally saying throughout the day, continuously, in all seasons, there's never an inappropriate time to call out to God. I used to work with a rescue squad as a paramedic, and, and I, don't, I never went to a call that I wasn't praying. I started praying as soon as the tones went off, I would pray en route to the call. And then when I got there and saw what I was dealing with, I would pray for, for wisdom and for direction and for the person that needed help. And there's never an inappropriate time to pray. And he says, pray at all times in the Spirit. He is making us aware of the fact that we need help. Paul is the one who wrote in Romans 8, you remember? 
For we do not always know how to pray as we ought to pray. But the Holy Spirit himself comes to our aid in intercession with groanings and utterings too deep for words. And he always, he always prays for the saints according to the will of God. We need help when we pray. We need the Holy Spirit to be guiding us. I'm going to talk about how we're the subject matter of prayer in just a moment. But suffice it to say at this point that Paul is telling us we need supernatural power to pray in a supernatural way against the supernatural enemy. This is not something we can take on ourselves. We need help. And so he says, be conscious of the fact that you need to be praying in the Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to pray with you and in you. And in the last part of that verse 18, he says, keep on the alert and always keep on praying. And when I look at the the words that actually make up that sentence, he is saying to be uh, unremitting in your persistence and staying alert and keeping watch like somebody on guard duty. What does a guard do? Why is a guard where he is? Protection. They anticipate the potential of a problem. They are there as a deterrent and as intervention. You know, when you see the... Why why does the police department... why, Why do they wear uniforms in the patrol division and drive marked cars? It's... Yeah, it's to remind you. There's a police force around here. They're more effective just by being present. They're more effective by showing the colors, so to speak. They want to let you know they're there. A guard is on duty as a deterrent and also to take action when the enemy comes. This imagery is used throughout the Scripture. God says in the Old Testament... I looked for someone to stand in the gap. I looked for a watchman on the wall. I looked for somebody that would take up the guard duty and be alert and and pray with that kind of focused attentiveness because we're in a hostile environment. So how is it that we're supposed to pray for one another? How do we do that? Well, we need to recognize that we're in a war. Every day of our lives, we are facing spiritual battles. If you're not at all aware of that, you're already in trouble. If you think that you can just kind of coast along and nothing's bugging you and everything in my life is just fine right now, The Scripture says, take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. It's not intended to to put fear in us in terms of, of anxiety and tension, but it's intended to make us aware of the fact that we are constantly in enemy territory on an active battlefield, that there is a foe who is opposing us, and every day of our lives we are in this hostile environment. We are children of God who live in a place where Satan dwells. Can I say it any more starkly clear than that? 
we are in hostile territory. And we need to, to be aware of that, that we're on an active battlefield. There's temptations every day. There are pressures every day. There are subtle things that influence us every day. We have all kinds of things that face us. We need persistent and updated prayer because circumstances and tactics change moment by moment. How do we, how do we pray for each other? You know, there's, there's a couple ways. One way, bless you, good grief. <laughs> Something really got him. Um, you know, think of Terry here. I'm going to pray for Terry, okay? So how do I pray for Terry? Lord, bless Terry. How do I know, <laughs> first of all, how do I know whether or not Terry got blessed? Well, she took another breath since she's been sitting here. I guess that's proof that my prayer's been answered. How do I know my prayer's been answered? That's one way to pray, and a lot of people pray that way. They just kind of t- they just take a name, and they say, okay, Lord, uh, bless so-and-so. You know, you've heard it. Bless all the missionaries. I was, I was actually in a prayer meeting not too long ago with a larger group of people, and, and someone actually prayed that. Lord, bless all the missionaries serving you wherever they are in the world. Well, I, I, that's, that's a good, that's a noble thought. But how do I know if it's answered? I have no way of knowing that. Paul is speaking here about a kind of praying that we pray for each other because we get involved in the circumstances of one another's lives and we pay attention to what's going on so that we can pray specifically. In our church, I've been talking with Lindsay Cobus some as she's preparing to go to Spain in a little less than a month. She's going to be participating in the English camp there in Tres Cantos where um, Tim Westergren was here this, this uh, winter in missions conference telling us about their ministry. She's going to be going. I've been praying for her. Not just Lord bless Lindsay, but she's been making flight arrangements and, and she's trying to raise some money to make that happen and she's communicating with her family and She's got a lot of things going on now to get ready. And, and also, this is a strategic time in her life when, when a, a young person between high school and college takes the time to go on a short-term mission venture. It is a crucial time. I mean, it's not only going to have an impact on the kids that are at the English camp for two weeks. She's going to be living in the home of a Spanish family in Spain. She's going to be immersed in the culture and the language that is Spain, which, by the way, is very much apathetic toward God, very indifferent. These are not necessarily going to be uh, Christian people, uh, particularly that she comes into contact with. The whole point of the English camp is to be evangelistic. And so there are all kinds of things that are happening that I've been praying for her on a specific basis. Now, I realize that not everyone experiences things the same way, but I've also been praying for Mike because he's, he's having surgery on his neck tomorrow. Um, I'm a chicken. I was told 10 years ago I needed to have surgery on my neck, and I said no. <laughs> so so I, I, I'm already understanding a little bit of that, and not everyone reacts that way. But the reality is, is that I've been praying for him this week, anticipating the kinds of things that may come against him in spiritual warfare, 
or the, the, all the potential that's there, praying specifically for the surgery and, and for everything that goes on about it. What's going on in your life? You, you automatically begin to get the impression as I start talking about this that you can't pray for a lot of people in a focused time the way I'm talking about. You remember my testimony from years ago when I was in college trying to pray through the list and I got into this guilt complex that I had to, every, every time I said, somebody said to me, pray for me, I say, okay, I will. So I'm going to pray for Ron, I'm going to pray for Sherry, I'm going to pray for Tammy, I'm going to pray for on and on it goes. And all of a sudden my list got so long that it took me an hour just to read the names. And when you do that, you know, all you can do is say, you know, Lord bless Carrie, Lord bless Aaron, Lord, that's all you can do. But that's not praying. And I finally got out from under the bondage of the list. And I began to allow the Holy Spirit of God to take hold of my heart as, as He brought people into my life and people before me that needed prayer so that knowing their circumstances, knowing what they're going through, knowing what they're experiencing, I can put my heart and, and mind into their life and with the help of the Holy Spirit guiding me, I can pray specifically. Some people are in situations where they need wisdom. What kind of wisdom? What, what are the choices they need to make? What kind of temptations might they face? Some people are going through hard times in their lives. Other people are going through decision processes. How do I pray for them? Specifically. I found myself this morning uh, as I was coming to church and I was walking around outside. It was very early in the morning. I, I, I remembered, I pulled in the parking lot and I remembered that Friday evening I saw an ambulance at my neighbor's, my former neighbor's house here. And that reminded me to pray for her. And then it reminded me of my neighbor on the other side. And I've been praying for him for a very long time. And I've been praying for others that they would come to know Christ. How do you pray for someone that is lost that needs to know Christ? Lord, save so-and-so. Well, that takes about five seconds. But what what do the Scriptures say? Do you not know that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Oftentimes I pray for people when I'm praying for their salvation. God, would you bring blessings into their lives that they will recognize as having come from you? Because the Bible tells me that the goodness of God motivates people to repent when he overwhelms. Like the song we were singing, the, the trees. How many of you have ever been in a hurricane? Can I just show a hands here? You've been in a hurricane. Well, there's two of us. <laughs> okay. I can remember one of the hurricanes that came into the Tampa Bay area when I was uh, a teenager and I was looking out the windows. I vividly remember the occasion because my father was in the hospital in Davis Island in Tampa Bay. My mother was at the hospital with him, and I was at home with a couple of my aunts who were, like, freaking out. And, you know, and I looked out the window, and we had, at that time, uh, about 11 oak trees in our yard. 
there's only, in that particular lot, there's only about two of them left, I think. But at that time, there were 11 of them. And I looked out in the midst of the storm, and I saw those trees bending with the tops almost coming to the ground. They were just like horizontal as they would be. And they were just being twisted and turned by the winds of the storm. It was, it was absolutely amazing. Why am I telling you about trees in a hurricane? Oh, yes, the love of God. (laughs) The song brought that image back to my mind, and I thought, man, this is powerful stuff. And And I pray for people that God's love will come upon them like that. I mean, that is amazing power. And I ask God, bring your love into their life that they cannot ignore the source. My, my Bible also tells me that when the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He will point to Jesus Christ. He will deal with the heart. He will expose people's iniquity. And I, and I pray for them. Maybe I know of some sin in their life. And I pray that the Holy Spirit of God will convict them. You know, people can go through life mindlessly. Unless the Spirit of God begins to strive with them. And I want them to be aware that they need a Savior. And as you open your Bible and begin to pray for the lost, there are dozens of verses and hundreds of verses and different ways that you can pray specifically when you pray for the saved, when you pray for people that need to grow in Christ. You know, when Paul wrote to the Ephesians in the beginning of this letter, and he says, I'm praying for you. Uh, like like we do sometimes. Well, I'm praying for you. Ron, I'm praying for you. Well, thank you. What are you praying? Paul was very specific. He said, I'm praying for you that God will give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. He says, I, I want you to be perceptive and wise and I want you to have understanding in your spirit. You know, there's, I, that's another sermon, but there's a difference between being wise and, and insightful in your spirit and in your head. Sometimes it gets all the way through to the head, but it starts, spiritual perception begins in the spirit. And so he says, I pray that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the true knowledge of Jesus Christ, so that you can know. Now here, here's a group of people that are in the midst of spiritual battle. Okay? Ephesus, you remember when that church first was born, people came to Christ, and the Scripture says they brought together all their charms and all their magic equipment and all of their things that they used for for the worship of evil and for casting spells and charms and all that kind of stuff. They brought it together as a huge bonfire. It was like... Uh, years of wages, if you counted up the money that it was worth. The Scripture tells us that. They lived in a place where, where Satan was recognized. His power was constantly around them. And so Paul was praying for them. And he says, there's three things I want you to know. I want you to know the hope of his calling. I want to know where he's taking you. I want you to know where what God's destiny is for you. I want you to know the hope of your calling. Who you are in Christ. I want you to know what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. 
I want you to know what he's made available to you. And I want you to know the surpassing greatness of his power. That power that was demonstrated when God raised Jesus from the dead. These are the things I want you to know. Paul didn't just say, I'm praying for you. He says, this is what I'm praying. I want God to do specific things in your life. Friends, you and I are called upon in this passage of Scripture to pray for one another with that kind of specificity, with that kind of focused attention, to ask God for things in your life and my life that we need. Some of those things you can gain by just putting yourself in another person's position. Having empathy, being thoughtful. Some of us are not wired all that way. You know, some people, to have empathy requires a major upheaval in their life. You know, but you can still have the Holy Spirit. Everyone can have the Holy Spirit. And he says, pray in the Spirit. Let the Spirit of God guide your praying. Let Him tell you how to pray. When we pray for each other, you know, do you search the Scriptures? Do you ask God, Lord, you know, I need to, I need to pray for... In fact, Tom and Dorothy were sitting where you guys were sitting in the last service, and I was picking on them. And I said, and that reminds me, I haven't talked to Tom and Dorothy in a while, so I don't know exactly how to pray for them specifically. And so afterwards, I looked at Tom and I said, how are you doing? And he says, I'm doing fantastic. And he has this big smile on his face, and I said, what's up? And he says, well, Dorothy and I are going down to the city today. We're celebrating our 35th anniversary, 35th wedding anniversary. All right, now I know Now I know how to pray. I, I know what to pray for them. They're going down to the city to have fun. I want them to have fun. I want them to enjoy each other. I want them to enjoy their anniversary. I, I want them to experience the goodness of God. Now I know what's going on. We need to take time to find out what's going on in each other's lives so we know how to pray for one another. That's the kind of praying that Paul was talking about here. Not not the general Lord bless them all, but the very specific. And you know what? If you don't pray for a hundred people, that's fine. If you have a dozen people in your heart today that God has put on your heart, if every person in this room was just praying for four or five other people, do you know how much prayer would be going on for this room full of people? It would be astronomical. And the Holy Spirit, you know, I, I came to believe this after I got free from my listitis. I came to realize that part of the plan of God is to bring networks of relationships around us, to bring us into contact with specific people so that as we pray for them, there, you know, they talk about this in business and sales all the time. Networking, you know, it's it's a new verb. Let's network. No longer a noun. It's it's action, and and it means make all those connections and indirect connections so that the influence is is broader. Really, what God wants to do for us as believers is to set us up in relationships so that the whole Church of Jesus Christ around the world is covered by constant intercession. 
by people that you know, for people that you know, that God has put on your heart as you become invested in their lives. And why do we need to do that? Because prayer makes a difference. You know, I don't care where you land theologically in the Scriptures. I don't care if you're a Calvinist, an Arminian, a Wesleyan, a Reformed. I don't care what you are. We are told enough times in the Scripture, we ought always to pray and not faint. Pray without ceasing. In everything by prayer and supplication with things. We are told so many times to pray that as I read the Scriptures, I come away with, with the inevitable conclusion that prayer makes a difference. There's a warfare going on. There, I, I wish I could take you into realms. Uh, remember Daniel praying, and he prayed for a long time, and Michael was bringing an answer, and he got held up by, by Satan. I mean, that's like weird stuff, but, but there was an interruption because there's actually a warfare going on in the heavenly realms and our praying makes a difference. Things happen because people pray for them, and other things do not happen because no one prayed for them. Things are prevented because people pray. We will not even know this side of eternity if we even care on that side, but we will not know this side of eternity how many times God has intervened in our lives in response to prayer that we escaped something that we don't even know we were in danger of. I have to believe, as often as I'm told in the Scriptures, to pray that prayer makes a difference in people's lives. And I want you to look at what Paul says here. I think he was kind of setting the Ephesians up. Because after he tells them to pray this way, look at verses 19 and 20. Pray also for me. Now this is the Apostle Paul talking. Here's the guy that stormed the Roman Empire with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the guy that would go into a new town, go into a synagogue and begin to preach Jesus knowing that he had been thrown out of more, beaten more times, times without number, he says, stoned and left for dead. I mean, this is the guy that has taken on the Roman world and the Jewish world in the name of Jesus Christ, and he has suffered immensely. You would think that there was not a timid bone in his body. But here he is in Rome, chained to a guard, under arrest, and he says, pray for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Notice in the translation I've given you, on my behalf, pray in order that a word may be given to me in the opening of my mouth. Do you remember Jesus in the Gospels toward the end as he's talking about the second coming and the tough times that will come in the last days? Jesus said this, 
And when they bring you before magistrates and governors and rulers on account of me, when they, in other words, under arrest, when they bring you into the presence of worldly rulers, take no thought about what you're going to say. In other words, don't be anxious about how you're going to say anything because the Holy Spirit will give you in that moment the words you need. And that's exactly what Paul is praying here. He's saying, pray that I will open my mouth and when I do, God will give me a word. He will fill my mouth. That I will speak that word He gives me boldly. Do you think Paul would ask for prayer to speak boldly if he wasn't being tempted to keep quiet? I mean, I don't know what's going through this man's mind, but here he is. I mean, this is kind of like the end of the road. He has been all over the Roman Empire preaching the Gospel, and now he's in prison, chained. And he's got to be wondering, is this the end? Am I done? Is it over? I don't know. But I suspect that every once in a while, the enemy of our souls whispered that in his mind. You follow Jesus. Look where it got you. You could have been back in Jerusalem sitting fat and happy as one of the king bee rulers and teachers of the law. You could have been, you could have had good salary. You could have had all the praise of the people. Look at you. I don't know what he was thinking, but I know that he felt he needed boldness. He needed courage. He needed to open his mouth and have God fill it with a word, a supernatural word that would have ministry to those who heard it. And so he says, I want you to pray for that for me that I will have boldness to speak. And he says, concerning the mystery of the gospel, you know, that's what got him into trouble. Remember what he says the mystery of the gospel is? It's in Colossians. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I told you I was praying about a neighbor friend of mine this morning. I I I was praying for him, and a conversation was in my mind. And I was asking God to to somehow make known to him the difference between the claims of Christ and all the other religions of the world. You know why? Because there's a lot of religions out there that tell you how to find God. My my district superintendent, John Rich, told me a story this past week that, that just shocked me. He was talking about the kind of culture that we're living in right now, the pluralism in America in a post-Christian era, people are spiritually hungry, but they're not necessarily looking to the church for answers. And he said he had gone down into the city some months back to, to, to handle some business with lawyers and whatever for the district. He took the train in to go all the way down to the heart of the city. And and when he got ready to come back out, he said he hadn't bought a ticket, and he looked at the line, and the line was so long that he just decided he would get on the train and pay for the ticket when the conductor came through. So he got on the train, took a seat, and he said just before they left the station, 
another person came and sat down beside him, and he said he was obviously Muslim. He had the dress and, and the look and everything. He was obviously Muslim from the Arab lands. And he said he opened some book that was in Arabic and began to read. And they exchanged greetings or whatever. And then he said, in a little while, the conductors, they started on their way, came through taking tickets. And John reached in his pocket to take out money for a ticket. So he said, I need to buy a ticket. And, and this Muslim man put his hand on his knee and said, no, just wait a minute. He took out his ten-ride pass and he said, punch one for me and for my friend. And when the guy punched the two tickets on it and went on down, he turned to John and he said, I just want you to know Allah loves you. Wow. You know, people are, are hungry and there's all kinds of people out there being kind, giving the touchy-feelies. But none of those religions will ever connect you to God. How can people know the difference? What is the difference? The difference is all the other religions give you something you can do to get closer to God. But God in Christ comes to you to give you His Spirit and to bring Christ into your life and pull you into a relationship. Christianity, I, I don't even like the term, but it's not a religion. It's a relationship with the living God, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's why Paul was in jail. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Not all the other religions. Rome had all kinds of religions. But Paul was in jail because he said, none of them are counting for any good. You need Jesus Christ in you. This is the mystery of the Gospel. The hope of glory. And he says, that's what I need to speak fearlessly. So you need to pray for me. At this stage of his life, you need to pray for me that I'll keep faithful to the message of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he says, pray for me that I may speak it fearlessly. The, the, the words that he chooses here are, are just incredible. But he says, I'm an ambassador of chains, but I want to be able to declare boldly as I ought to speak, and, and the Freiburg lexicon, I've written this down for you so you can read it later, but the Freiburg lexicon said the, the word means acting with an attitude of openness that comes from freedom and a lack of fear. How much more specific could Paul be in his prayer request? We could talk all day about what he doesn't ask. You know, there's a lot of things in this passage he doesn't ask to pray for. But he says, pray that I will be able to have an attitude of freedom in the absence of fear and speak boldly the claims of Christ. What do you need prayer for? Do you have people that will pray for you? Do you pray for other people? Do you pray specifically? 
Do you know their circumstances and their situation? And are you asking God specifically for the kinds of things they will need in those situations? Friends, we need to pray for each other because prayer makes a difference. And when we pray for one another, we need to pray with understanding. We need to pray with the power of the Holy Spirit and His guidance. We need to pray specifically. And when we ask for prayer, I want to encourage you to do this. When you say, pray for me, say what you need prayer for. Pray for me. Pray for me. And give people insight into how to pray. Father, I want to ask you this morning that you will encourage us to be prayerful intercessors for one another. I want to ask you to teach us to pray thoughtfully, to pray in the Spirit, to take the time. If we only pray for one or two people, but we pray with intensity and as watchmen, as guards, with, with vigilance and being alert. And, and we ask you for guidance to pray specifically. Lord, teach us how to pray for each other. Teach us to, to pray and not just play the game. How many times do we say, I'm praying for you and And it's just like the Christian way of saying goodbye, see you later. And it's not happening. Lord, teach us to be faithful intercessors for one another. Maybe we've been praying for somebody and we need to pick up the phone and give them a call and ask how they're doing so we can update our prayers. We need to find out what's going on. Give us a sense of camaraderie that soldiers have together in the thick of battle because we are in the thick of battle and we are soldiers in a spiritual army and we need to hold one another up and watch each other's back and intercede for each other. Teach us, Lord, how to pray for one another. I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.